Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're so excited to spend some time with you today. We hope that this message inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose. Let's jump right into the message. Welcome everybody who's watching online. We have lots of people out on summer vacation right now. I hope you have a miserable time and you're in a hurry to get back by next Sunday. But in the meantime, God blesses you so much that your tithe next week better be double because you missed this Sunday. We're thankful that you're here. For those of you that are here in the house, we are going to be picking up in 1 Corinthians. We are concluding this collection of talks, which has been called Welcome to the Fabulous Corinth. So we're in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 15, and then we're going to move on to 2 Corinthians, which should be just a couple turns of the page. If you didn't bring a Bible, no problem. We have it up on the screen for you. If you have a Bible app, our message will be taken out of the NIV today, mostly because Carmen isn't here to annoy me about it not being King James. So we're going NIV. This is called Welcome to the Fabulous Corinth, week four, and this one's called True or False. Take yourself back when you were in high school. Some of you were there now. Some of you will be there in a couple of weeks. Some of you were there in the 1920s during the roaring 20s. I want you to think about high school. Why are you laughing, Gerald? I know why you're laughing. I hated true or false questions. I'll take multiple guess. I mean multiple choice any day of the week. Essay. I'm pretty decent at like kind of just working my way through a problem. But true or false is tough. You want to know why I hate true or false? Do you want to know why I hate true or false? Well, I'll tell you since you asked. I hate true and false because if even one little thing is off, the whole thing's wrong. And so I had to pay attention to every detail because even at the very end, if they just changed one little word, it messed it all up. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is true or false. So Paul, during 1 Corinthians, as he's writing this letter to Corinth, which we addressed in week one, is actually probably his second letter. He talks about a number of different issues. If you, issue number one was lack of unity in the church. Issue number two was lack of spiritual growth. Issue number three was food sacrifice to idols. Last week we talked about issue number four, which was imbalance. And this week we'll wrap up 1 Corinthians 1 with issue number five, which is false teachers. False teachers. It's the same way with the Bible as a true or false question on a test. Because either the Bible is 100% true or it's 100% false. And we could conveniently like look at different parts that we're like, ah, I'm not super comfortable with that. Ah, that scripture is not really in vogue with what society says is okay right now. But you got to understand that if even one thing is wrong, then Jesus was a liar. And not only that, you and I are the biggest fools of them all because not only are we basing our eternity on it, we're basing our, our current life on it. If Jesus was a liar, then, then we shouldn't be here right now, and you shouldn't be giving your money to the church. You should go out and live. This is all you got. But if Jesus was telling the truth, then we got a world to win. And that's what we're talking about. Now, when I went into my pastor's office one time, when I was a youth pastor a few years ago, I went into his office, and he was laying on his desk. And when I shut his door, I could tell that, like, I clearly woke him up. 
and we're like, it's Saturday night. We got service in 10 minutes, and my pastor's asleep on his desk. And I'm like, are you, you okay? Because I, I don't really have a message in my back pocket. So if I got to go out on stage, we're in trouble. And he said, Jason, I messed up. And I'm like, what does that mean? Because, like, you're my boss and my pastor, but service starts in 600 seconds. <laughs> and he said, my wife messed everything up for me. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this I can relate to. <laughs> That's no problem. <laughs> and he said, he said, we bought a package of pills that had the AM and the PM version of this cold medicine, and we went on vacation, and she took them all out and put them in the same bottle. And then I was not feeling well about, you know, an hour ago, so I went into her purse and got the bottle out that clearly said AM on the outside, and so I took a bunch of PM medicine, and I'm so tired. And I was like, you better wake yourself up because we've got 400 seconds. Here's what I want you to, to understand, though, is he just assumed what was on the outside was what was on the inside. And if the label on the outside is incorrect of what the contents is in the inside, it is going to do nothing but harm you, distract you, or deceive you. And this is what Paul is talking about. Because what's going to happen is what happened is false teachers started to come into Corinth and they started presenting the gospel in a way in which it's not actually what the gospel is. And the people in Corinth did the same thing that we do a lot. They just took whoever's on stage with the microphone's word for it instead of reading it themselves. And they were deceived. And Paul's saying, no, 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 we've got some false teaching going on. And we got to correct it. I was really tired one day, and I went into the, the cabinet, and I was like, man, I, I just I don't feel very good, kind of lethargic, don't, don't really know why. It's probably because I don't take vitamins and rarely eat fruits and vegetables. And, and so I, I opened up the cabinet because really that's what vitamins are. It's like a bypass shortcut to what God clearly made for us to eat. But instead, I'm going to take one pill and broccoli be gone, you know? And so I open up the cupboard. Don't laugh. You do it too. I open up the cupboard and I'm like, okay, I'm going to take every single one of these so that I feel better. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to, no, I'm not. I'm just going to take more, more medicine. And, and I open up the cabinet and I'm like, vitamin C, that's good. A, no idea. Good. D, I think that's what's in Sunny D, so I'm going to take that. And then I see this one bottle, and it says prenatal. And I'm like, I have no idea what prenatal means. You must. So I take this prenatal vitamin, and then, and then I see this little package that says birth control. And I, no, I didn't take that. I know what that is. But the prenatal, apparently it's vitamins that like women are supposed to take when they're either about to get pregnant or trying to get pregnant and it helps your hair grow and your nails grow and it might give you a little more, bit more estrogen, which is probably why I like the Real Housewives shows and don't really like to hunt or anything. <laughs> I hunt. I just hunt for good deals on clothes. Thank you. Whoever that was, I need you in the front row every single week. But here it is. I didn't know what I was taking. And what I was taking was affected me in a way that I didn't intend for it to. And so much of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit through various men, uses real estate warning of false doctrine and false teachers. So let's talk about what Paul was writing about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. Now, brothers and sisters, 
Anytime you see scripture start off that way, he's talking to Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. This is the very most important thing of it all. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So Paul's saying, if there's nothing else that's more important, it's this. If you don't pay attention to anything else, know that Jesus died for your sins. He was buried physically. He raised from the dead. Because if the resurrection never happened, then Friday was just a funeral of a liar, a lunatic, and a deceiver. But because there is resurrection Sunday, oh, we all have hope. So Paul's letting them know that. This is the most important. And then he starts proving that Jesus actually came back. And for 40 days, we saw him here on earth. Verse 5, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Interesting choice of words there. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last he appeared to me, it's Paul, as to one abnormally born. So, so why is this important? Because remember, the church of Corinth was in the Greco-Roman Empire. and the Greco-Roman Empire, there was this infusion of this false doctrine based upon dualism. Write that down. Dualism. And what the basic idea was, actually Plato and Socrates both talked about this as well, was the idea that the flesh is evil, but your spirit is good. And so, you know, God created your body, and then he breathed his spirit into you. So that's the part that's good, and that's why when you die, your body will go to the ground and turn back to dust and worms and decay and smell and all of that, because it's nasty. It's, it's just your body, but your spirit is fine. And here's what the problem with that is. It was justification for sin, because if your sin, if your body is sinful, if your body is weak, if your body has nothing to do with who you are, you can do anything with your body. And it won't affect your spirit. Sexual immorality, no problem because it doesn't affect your spirit. You can eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow you die, but your spirit is, is, is fine. And Paul is saying this is dangerous because then what happens is, is when Jesus comes back from the dead, they had a hard time with that. Because why on earth would Jesus leave his heavenly body and then come to earth in the physical body if that's evil? And then if he died and went back up to heaven or went back up to present himself to his father, he wouldn't have come back down again to his body because the spirit is elevated above the flesh. And so then the next practical step was that Jesus really didn't raise from the dead. And if he did, it was kind of just like this spiritual ghost, and he probably walked around Jerusalem with Slimer next to him, and Dan Aykroyd looking for him with the gun, and, and um, it's called Ghostbusters. That's a, that's a funny joke. Where's that lady that laughed really loud? Now's the time to, to laugh again. 
But that's the, you see now it's a slippery slope because as soon as you start taking just little pieces out of here and taking it out of context or taking certain parts out, it's like a Jenga puzzle. And the piece that's holding it all together is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul goes out of his way to tell them why this is important, but then he also claims or, or, or posts all the different types of people that actually physically saw Jesus. So it's not a rumor. He appeared one time to over 500 people, and he says many of whom are still living. He ate food. He drank water. He hung out for 40 days. Verse 12, let's pick this back up. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And then he's going to start to tell you about everything then that happens if that Jenga puzzle falls down. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified that God has raised Christ from the dead. Now, hold on. He's saying, if this is wrong, then our faith is useless. And not only that, you now are a false prophet if you've told people. And I'm the biggest fool of them all. So I've based my life on it and my eternity. And I'm standing on stage telling you that it's real. But if you did not raise him, from the, raise him then in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You are still destined for hell if Jesus never raised from the dead. Then those who also have fallen asleep, there's that phrase again, in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, but we are of people most to be pitied. But if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ we are all made alive. So then here's the question. What does it look like in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth? What are you going to look like? I actually almost titled this message, How to Get the Body You've Always Wanted. Then I was toying around with, no such thing as gluten-free in heaven. Then I was going to be like, how to have the perfect body without ever dieting. I expected some people to clap at that point, but it's probably a good thing you didn't. He's going to take us through. Now, I know we're going through a lot of Scripture today, but I'll never apologize for going through a lot of the Word of God, and, and just, that's just the way it should be. So put on a hard hat, pack a lunch, and let's get to work. Paul's about to talk about what our body is going to look like, and, and, and the key is what did Jesus look like when he came back for those 40 days. So we're wrapping up 1 Corinthians. This is the last chunk. We're in 1535. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that it will be, just as a seed perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. 
birds another, fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. Underline those two things. They're different. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from star in splendor. So now what he's going to do over the next four verses is he's going to show you a comparison of our earthly body. And I don't care if you look like John Cena, it's a body that is not perfect. And, and he's going to show you the discrepancy between a heavenly body and an earthly body. Here we are, verse 2. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead, that this body is sown, this body sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, because you're born into sin, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised the spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. And that wraps up 1 Corinthians. And then we transition to 2 Corinthians. Now, now I want you to look at this for a moment. 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians is one turn of the page in your book, in your Bible. But a lot happens in between one page. Not nearly as much as what happens between one page of Malachi and Matthew. There's a lot that happens there. First Corinthians is written approximately A.D. 55, A.D. 56. And 2 Corinthians will take place one year later. Now, this is either his third letter or possibly his fourth or fifth letter. But either way, a lot happens between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Now, I want you to think for a moment about what you think of when you think of the Apostle Paul. I'll tell you what I think. Are you ready? I think he was kind of like the wet blanket, like the dude you don't want to invite to the party because he's going to like cross his arms and not really laugh at any of the jokes and tell you how the food isn't nearly as good as whatever, you know, and, 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 I, and I gather him as the guy that's really no fun. Like, you host a dinner party, and then all of a sudden, Paul walks in, and you're like, who invited the clergy? Like, we're here for a good time. And, and that's what I picture. I picture Paul to be just kind of straight-laced, and nothing really bothers him, and he's always walking around telling you what you're doing wrong. And, what, and it's really easy to kind of fall into that, because a lot of his letters are correction. A lot of his letters are saying, hey, this church here, you're a little out of balance. Don't forget what I taught you. Hey, you guys, you're you're allowing some false teachers to creep in and some false doctrine. Pull yourself back to the Word of God. And and, then that's kind of what he does throughout there. But I think that once you read 2 Corinthians, you're going to see a side of Paul that you've never seen before. You're about to see Paul broken. You're about to see Paul hurt. Because here's what happened during that one year. Those false teachers had crept into the church. He later is going to call them super apostles, which is incredibly sarcastic, and I love it. But, but they started to creep in, and what happened is, is they started to make the church of Corinth turn on Paul. Now, Paul spent 18 months in Corinth loving on this place and establishing this church, which is the second longest he ever spent in any place. In case you're wondering, the first is Ephesus. But, but he spent 18 months there. Which is a long time because the Apostle Paul was a nomad. I mean, he moved from place to place to place. And so he has deep affection for this place. 
Even the way he wrote First, the Second Corinthians is, is from a paternal standpoint. It's like a, a father figure because he cares for them. And what happened is, is these false teachers, these super apostles, these guys that walked the walk and talked to the talk and had the perfect Mitt Romney hair and probably dressed like Gerald and, and that they came in and they were smooth talkers. And remember, Greece, Greece and Rome really elevated being a smooth talker, being a or, silver-tongued orator. And that's what skill, philosophy, critical thought. They would stand out in the, the streets and just argue points for fun. It's kind of like what y'all do on Facebook, and, but just there were a lot more, more smooth talking. I'm just kidding. I know you don't do that, it's, but the other churches do. And so they elevated these guys' opinion over Paul because Paul wasn't very eloquent. He probably didn't really look the part, probably drove a 2003 Acura instead of a nice car. Like, he, he, he probably didn't have a whole lot of things that were impressive on the surface. And the church turned on him during that year. And you're about to see the intro to 2 Corinthians of a broken Paul that you've probably never seen before. And so he sends his two protégés, Timothy and Titus, to go check it out and see if it can be corrected. And, and some of it stemmed from Paul told them in his first letter, 1 Corinthians, I'm going to go visit you. And then some things happened, doors opened up, and he didn't get there in time. And because he didn't do what he initially told them he was going to do, that gave the crack to enter for the false apostles, the, the super apostles, the false teachers to say, he's a liar. He told you he was going to be here, but he's not. And, and, and not only that, but like, he doesn't have much of a resume. So you're about to see Paul really hurting. And I, and I think that, that the Holy Spirit, through Paul, used this portion of Scripture in a, in a really good way because if you have ever been at a spot where you are broken, where you are hurt, where you have felt betrayed, when you tried to do something and it got misconstrued or taken the wrong way or they don't believe you or you were just trying to help somebody and then they turned on you, we've all been there. And now you're about to see a glimpse into Paul's psyche, his heart. This is really just an unfiltered journal. So let's pick up. Uh, oh, I want to show you this. There's three different parts that 2 Corinthians is broken down into. And, and hopefully this will be up on the screen. I want you to write it down, take a picture of it, because you've got to go back and study this, this letter. We, I, I'm giving it to you from a 30,000-foot view. Spend some time in 2 Corinthians. I promise you it will be worth it. So we have three different sections. We have chapters 1 through 7. And chapters 1 through 7 are going to show you Paul's heart and then the correction he's going to bring. Just like a father disciplining his son, he's not going to allow that behavior to be taken care of, but, or to, to, to stay. He's going to take care of it. He's going to bring some correction, but he's going to do it in a loving way. So 1 through 7, you're going to see Paul's heart and correction. And then chapters 8 through 9, you're going to see forgotten generosity. Because they did what you and I do when times get tough. They tightened their financial belts instead of helping another church like they said ahead of time they were going to do. So he's going to remind them of their generosity. And then the last one that we'll touch briefly is 10 through 13, Paul's final challenge against the false teachers. That's my favorite part. But let's start off with part one. So keep in mind, you're about to see Paul at his lowest point where the people that he sowed into betrayed him and the people that he has loved on and prayed for turned their backs on him. Allow Paul for a moment to open up his ribcage and show you his heart. 1-1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God 
and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth. So he sent Timothy and Titus to go check it out as two protégés. They came back with bad news. It's real bad, Paul. They've turned on you. We got You got to go write them a letter. Together with all his holy th- people throughout Achaia, which is Greece, old Greece, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. This is unusual language language for Paul. He's, he's really telling them, like, this is for me, but I'm going to write it to you. God is our God of compassion and comfort. He comforts us, comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. I love that. This is saying, have you been through hard times? Has God given you comfort? Has God given you healing? Good. Now you know what that's like to be broken in that area. And now you are going to go use that to bless other people. A few weeks ago, we had a couple come up here that had gone through a miscarriage. And, and they were up here telling their story. And now, as a result of that, they've been able to minister to people that are right in the middle of that. And that's what Paul is saying. Have you been in pain? Has God given you comfort? Great. Now you can reach other people who are going through that. That's how he can turn our mess into his message. That's how he can take what we have broken and use it for hope in other people's lives. And that's what Paul is saying. I've gone through this. And I want you to hear what God did. Verse 5. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, if it is your comfort and salvation, if we are comforted, then it is for your comfort who produces in your patient endurance of the same times of the sufferings that we suffer. And our hope in you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. That's a powerful portion of Scripture. That's saying that the God who spoke the planets into existence knows you by name, and when you are in a season, no matter how small it is, He's there with you. And I am thankful for a God that no prayer too big intimidates Him, but also no prayer too small insults Him. We need to remember that as we're going through small things, that God is there. God is in the details. Can anybody say amen? Paul is broken. This portion is intimate. It's reflective. It's not a side of him that we see very much. But, oh, it's a side that we all have gone through and can use. Here's the common denominator of everybody in the room. We all at some point in time have gone through something difficult. If you haven't in the past, then you are in the present. And if neither of those are true, it's just around the corner. Now, I don't mean to be pessimistic. It's just the reality of a broken world. And I am thankful that one of the aspects of the character of God is the God of comfort, the God of peace that Paul says the Thessalonians surpasses all understanding. So part two, the lack of generosity. And this is important. 2 Corinthians 8, 8 through 9. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. That's a really interesting verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. 
That's the gospel in a nutshell right there. Jesus left the splendor of heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father and came down in human form to wash feet, to hang naked on a cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so what Paul does is he takes the generosity of us as believers and compares it to God and what Jesus did. Because they were supposed to collect money, and the other churches have done this, Macedonia, they collected money to help plant a church in Jerusalem. And then what happened is the super apostles came in, and then when they started turning on Paul, they said, well, everything Paul told you, like, don't do that. Keep your own money. Don't do that. No, you live for yourself. No, you can do whatever you want with your body. It's just, it's, it's, it's your flesh, your spirit's what matters. So anything physical doesn't matter. You see this physical money? You keep it. And Paul is comparing that. He, he, he even goes so far to say that you can't actually fully understand what Jesus did on the cross if you're not generous. If you are not being generous in your tithes and offerings, Paul right here is saying you don't actually understand what Jesus did. He gave up everything so that you can become rich. Here's the equivalent of it. I know I yell. Those of you that hear hearing aids, I'm so sorry. Because it's like I see you like adjusting them and turning them down. Every time I get up, you're like, uh-oh, he's bouncing like Tigger. He's about to yell. So that's just in case. You know, anybody play poker? You play poker? You always look for someone's tell. When you know I'm about to yell, like I just, just, it just happens. Watch. You'll see. You'll see I'm talking about Jacob. Just watch. What was I saying? Yes, I know what I was saying. Here it is. It's the equivalent of if a man really loves a woman. If a man loves a woman. Jeremy, you got a spot for me? And he loves her no matter what, but she brings in a financial mess to this marriage. I mean like credit card debt, bankruptcy, you name it. And he says, I love her anyways. Her name then goes on his bank account. What he has, now she has. And this is the equivalent of what Jesus did. Jesus became poor so that you and I can become rich. My pastor says, your picture is on his refrigerator because you are a child of God. Jeff, you own a company. If you have your right-hand man who's running the company underneath you, or you have your son, which one of them is going to get your love, your affection, your attention, and your inheritance? It's your son, it's your daughter, it's your child. Why? Because they're your child. And that's the picture that Paul is painting. There's an old Greek proverb that says this. I love it. It says, society flourishes when old men plant trees under whose shade they will never sit in. I gave a sermon one time. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. I don't mean to brag, but it has at least 50 views. It's called, <laughs> it's called Planting Invisible Trees. And it was a whole message based on this idea of the generosity that Jesus asks us to have is when we add value to people that will never add value back to us. If you are sowing into ministries in which you'll never step in the, in the door, I am thankful. I got saved in eighth grade. And I'm thankful for the people that gave for that building fund that allowed me to sit in those chairs and to get saved. I'm thankful for the people that gave to the, the room that you're sitting in right now that probably will never know you by name. They might be with Jesus already, but that's how you implant, that's how you plant invisible trees. So into ministries. 
that will add value after you're gone. It's the greatest Ponzi scheme of all time. You get compound interest for eternity. So issue number three, the final one that we'll talk about, and then we'll wrap this whole bad boy up, is Paul is addressing these super, these super apostles. And here's what I love. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I love this. Paul has finally had enough. Now you're about to see the old Paul. And he's saying, I don't want to have to do this. But if I must, let me send you my resume. Because though on the outside I am not impressive, do not forget that I was Saul of the tribe of Benjamin, that I was named after the first king of Israel, that I am the Hebrew of Hebrews, and I got more certificates hanging on the wall behind my desk than y'all could ever hope for. I've been to every university that there is, including the University of Subway and Ronald McDonald Community College. I've been to them all. And he's about to just lay down his resume. And sometimes this would feel so good when you have people that come to you and they say, oh, you know, God told you that you could do whatever you want. And you're like, really? Have you even read the Bible? Really? Have you even? I want to do that. <laughs> but I'm not going to. I don't have to because Paul did it for me. So let's find out. And then there's going to be a little plot twist. Spoiler alert. Right at the very end, he's going to take this in a different direction that they don't see coming. Here we are. Verse 22. He's talking about the super apostles. Are they Hebrews? Cool. So am I. That didn't say cool. That's a Jason translation. Are they Israelites? Cool. So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? Cool. So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked, and this is where we start picking it up. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have, const I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from the rivers, in dangers from the bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in dangers from the Gentile, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. He's saying, I've been kicked out of everywhere. You're standing around preaching prosperity. Good for you. But what comes out of you when you get squeezed? That's how you can determine if your faith is real. He's saying, I've done all of this for the gospel. What have you done? Verse 27. I have labored and I have toiled and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do, and do not feel weak. And I do not feel weak. Who is led to sin? And I do not inwardly burn. And then here it is, right at the end. He goes, oh yeah, 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 watch this. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Do you hear that? The world is not impressed with where you went to college. The world is not impressed, at least for God, they might be impressed with you, about how much money you have, how prestigious you are. What the world wants to know is, is what inside of you, is that real? 
And most of the time, you can only tell that when you go through trials and difficulties. How are you during that time? When Paul was in jail, and it says, and the other prisoners were listening because they were singing the praises of the Lord. The other people are listening. The world is watching. So don't let a good, difficult season go to waste. Don't whine your way through it. Instead, find a way to leverage that to show people that God is good. And what Paul is saying at this time is, my resume doesn't mean anything. Let me tell you about my weakness. Now, that's weird because the world doesn't do that. You're not going to get a whole lot of blue checks next to your social media if you just post about how desperately you need Jesus. How do you get the blue checks? Look how great I am. Look at these cars. Check out my music video. Look at this. That doesn't bring any glorification to God. Paul is saying, actually echoing what, what Jeff said on stage, is that in my weakness, it's made perfect. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. I've been saying this prayer the last couple of weeks, and it really means a lot right now, is sometimes it's easy to get comfortable with being a Christian. And, and I don't ever want to be comfortable. I, I want to be reminded that I need Jesus just as much and just so desperately today as I did at the moment of my salvation. But I'm sick and tired of being comfortable all the time. I want to end it with this. I recently watched an interview. He's deceased now of a Holocaust survivor. This is powerful. Lean into this. And he was just a young boy in a concentration camp. Now put yourself in that, that for a moment. And his ration was one, one slice of bread a day. And what would happen is he was telling this story about all of his friends and watching them slowly just become decrepit, seeing their ribs, seeing how desperate they were for food. And, and at the moment that the guard would give them a slice of bread, they would inhale it just because they're starving. And he said, not me. He said, I held on to that bread and I clutched it like a teddy bear because I knew that as long as I had one slice of bread, I could make it through tomorrow. And when he got his bread, then he would eat the one from the previous day and hold on to it because that was what he needed to know no matter what, I can get through one more day. I want to tell you that's where I want to be with Jesus. I want to be in a spot where it is my daily bread, where I just need him to get through the next day, and I need him to get through the next day. And God, bless my day. God, be with me, God. Without you, this is nothing. This is nothing. So we don't have a whole lot of false teachers that will come into the doors of small churches and stand on stage and, and present you the false doctrine, but we do have a ton in social media, politicians, on the news, influencers, and they're going after the young people, telling them, oh, the Bible says this, or, or oh, you know, God will forgive that. Even if you don't ask forgiveness, he's okay with this, and, 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 and you don't really need God, and we buy into the lie. How on earth do I go through days without even praying once to God, and then by the end of the day when I get in bed, I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry I forgot to pray. Thank you for a great day. Amen. When that's not the way it was designed to be, God said, oh, I can forgive your sins. Yes, 
But I can do so much more. What I want to really, really lean into during this season is to not fall for false doctrine of security and comfort. I don't want security. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. Would you stand with me? Here's what I want to do. We don't do this very often. Not as often as we probably should. I'm going to ask the band to just kind of play for a little bit. And I just want to give you a moment to speak to God. But I know you're hungry, you're tired, you're whatever. You have an opportunity to have a conversation with the creator of the universe. And at minimum, I ask that you pray the same prayer as me, is make me desperate for Jesus. Make me desperate. Make him my daily bread, God. And so we'll take just a couple of minutes from the band you can play. If God spoke to you in any way during the course of this message, we want to hear about it. Reach out to us at centerpointtn.com. You can partner with us. You can send us a message. We'd love to connect with you.